through the New Testament and doing a survey once again, just taking a little break in, uh, from Romans. We'll be back in Romans after Easter. So uh, taking just a small break and just uh, sharing things that the Lord has been placing on our heart, things to communicate with the body, things to encourage the church in. And uh, you can just go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And let's just pray. Lord, um, we thank you for the fire uh, that you've been sending to our church, a purifying fire, tongues of fire that we probably don't even see, just the Holy Spirit's anointing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that John said Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the work you've been doing in our church in the last few weeks, even through the fast and just times given over to seek you hardcore. Um, and Lord, how you've been so faithful that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And we just thank you for that, Lord. You are so faithful. And so, Lord, we just pray as there's just communication given from your spirit through the leadership of this church, um, just to to. Uh, spur one another on towards love, towards good works, towards pressing in to what you would have for us. Um, Lord, we pray that your tone of love would just be expressed, not condemnation, not uh, any, any form of looking down on one another, but Lord, that there would be exhortation where that is needed, encouragement where that is needed, correction where that is needed, and Lord, just where there are folks at Calvary Chapel that are out on the fringe um, that are um, cold, uh, that perhaps aren't even feeling the heat of what you're doing, Lord, that today by your spirit, uh, you would just draw them in towards the, the embers, towards the flame. Do more than any man could ever do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I felt led today to um, just begin the study, just talking about some encouraging things that are going on uh, in the church, and um, not an exhaustive list by any means, but as I was studying, I just took some time to thank the Lord for what he's been doing, and just listed some of the main things uh, that just came to my mind in, in uh, a few, few minutes, and so um, just first of all, we want to praise God for what he's doing here on, a, on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's been exciting. A couple weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago, I guess, it's already almost April in this new year, um, we had an elders meeting, and we were just really considering going to one service, and, um, and you never know, that might still happen, and, and do some sort of Sunday school class in the mornings, um, but, you know, we were thinking, man, we got, we got enough people, we could just fit everyone into one service, and then, you know, not be preaching the message twice, but then have, you know, another, and just as we thought about it, and took, you know, it was like the next week, all of a sudden, just first and second service were just man, just populated, you know, and, you know, and it lasted for weeks. We were like, okay, then, um, no one service, you know, it's, it's not going to happen, man. And so, um, so we just praise God for bringing people and um, strong growing attendance. Uh, the 242 groups that meet on Wednesday night, they're the home fellowships of the church. God led us about a year and a half ago to not have a Wednesday night Bible study during the year, but to go towards home fellowships and intimate community, getting to know one another, sharing food with one another, and just growing and getting to know each other in our personal lives. And so if you're not a part of a 242 group, it is a big part of what God is doing in this church. Big vision of the elders, but even more so something we see in the scriptures um, from 
from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which we'll get in today. And so, um, but, but almost every home group is full, is packed out, and, and we're probably going to be needing to, you know, uh, have another home group in the year to come or another two. And so, especially if some of you would hear the call, be part of a 242 group. Amen. We'd love to have to uh, get some more homes, get some more hosts, get some more leaders for those groups. And so, God's been doing a great work there. We praise the Lord that giving has been up and, and the church's finances are very healthy right now. Um, you know, it was a year, not even a year and a half ago that we had to lay Stuart off and um, praise God, God's provided him a full-time job at Facebook. And so um, the church's finances have just been uh, growing and we've had some savings and all of that. And just really neat over the last couple months over praying, uh, we finally designated with the givings um, some uh, tithes from our church and some givings from our church towards missions and towards outreaches. And that's a very exciting thing. We've been laboring and praying for quite a while for that. We're going to be giving a substantial amount to the Redeemer's House Orphanage and um, got a note from Kathy that we're the first church that has committed to supporting the orphanage ever. And so very exciting when you hear about kids that don't even have beds over in this orphanage and don't have enough medicine to even get rid of some of the, the um, little bugs and stuff that bury under their skin. And, you know, gosh, praise the Lord. He's, he's providing for that through you guys, through your generous giving, as you've learned from Jesus and his generous giving of his life for us. Um, also going to be giving to Travis and Rebecca Smith that are with um, engineers in Egypt preaching the gospel and building just all sorts of different things, uh, reaching out to the lost over there. And so every month we'll be giving an amount towards the Smiths, um, towards the landing every month we'll be giving an amount that will, you know, just help the landing grow and reach out to the youth in our town. And, um, and also something I'm very excited about, we'll be giving a monthly amount towards uh, the cause of adoption um, and really a heart of local adoption. And that's flexible, but just to see orphans and kids locally that don't have homes helping those fun, um, funds uh, for those parents that you know how it is, just a lot of money to adopt somebody. So just writing things down, so thankful. You know, God has led us, uh, is, is giving his increase. We're also giving uh, towards missions and towards social justice causes. Very thankful as I was just writing things down that um, the call has been answered for certain ministry heads that have been needed. You know, we needed a helping hands ministry leader and Nate Wales just stepped up and rose to the occasion and just as he's been serving, he's just been on fire for Jesus in a matter of weeks. Like Timothy is told, those that serve well as deacons and, you know, they obtain great boldness in the faith. And so just as Nate is serving as a minister, just great boldness and fire and victory in his life. The custodial head was raised up. Cheryl Hibbs volunteering to uh, take the helm of cleaning in this church. Um, kind of go back to what God's doing on Sunday mornings. There's just a real sense of love and community here on Sundays as we gather. I mean, we could have a greeting time, you know, for an hour and a half. And I'm sure that, you know, we just keep talking and talking and talking. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, make sure nobody's left out of that, by the way. Be looking around who we can just reach out to. Um, core groups have some good turnouts and good commitments and are still going strong after about eight months of having core groups. Um, just wrote down some gifts and some needs that, that you know, it's just as I'm writing and just 
thinking of the church. Uh, there's still ways for you to get involved, thinking we have a jail right across the street. And there's a need for a jail ministry in our community and out of our church. Um, someone who could be a voice for Redeemer's House Orphanage, raising money and putting out information to the community. Um, someone who would minister to missionaries through gifts and packages and fundraising and notes, cards, and updating the body, what's going on in missionaries' lives. Um, uh, help that's needed down at the Oasis. Um, someone that could help out with decorating the church as seasons come around. Special decorations. Need in the youth uh, for helping out with the youth. If you're you know, gifted with young kids or have a vision to see the young set on fire, talk to Chad and help out there. Um, children's ministry is still in need of teachers or people that can just kind of play around on an on a, on a instrument and sing some songs about Jesus and lead the kids into worship. Uh, the AV ministry back in the sound booth uh, is still needing help with stage setup and running the sound and running the projection equipment, um, all of that kind of stuff. And so those needs as well, graphics and web uh, design specialty, that kind of stuff is needed here. So just, you know, excited as we went through the week of fasting and prayer and cried out that the Lord would gift us and show us our gifts and that we would use it. And so this is just a first thought list that I also said, hey, elders, you know, what else? What else? What other ways are gifts needed? And so lots of ways. We could tr probably keep going on that. But just also thinking of blessings that are going on in the church. Things that I'm thankful for is March 4th through 10th, we had our third fast, big fast as a church. It took seven days without eating and fasting from other things and media and such uh, to press in and to seek the Lord. And in, in the evening sessions, probably saw anywhere from 30 to 50 people come to worship the Lord and read through the New Testament and, um, and just wait and meditate on the Lord and, and just wait for him to move in our midst. And in that time, the Lord brought incredible community. There's something about when you're suffering together, you know, when you're suffering together, you know, there's just a brotherhood that is just, you know, bound and we're knit together and we're just excited about what God is doing. We didn't want to leave every night. People would just linger for over an hour and just not wanting to leave, wanting to just stay, man, uh, just loving what God is doing uh, here in the, the fast. Probably over twice the turnout that we saw the last year of fasting, for sure over twice uh, the turnout, which is so exciting, uh, amazing, exclamation point, as I wrote in my notes. Uh, we saw just this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit and community. His word penetrated our heart as we read through the whole New Testament in those seven days. One man testified at the end of the fast, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. And that became the kind of the battle cry or the cry after the fast as the fast was wrapping up. Just people just kept saying, I'll never be the same. I, I never want to go back. I never want to go back to filling my flesh with worldly things and accepting substitutes from the world, substitutes from intimacy with Christ. I'll, I don't ever want to go back. And even after the fast ended, just we got together our Tuesday staff meeting and one person was just like, I don't even know what to do with my time now. I want to be back down here at the church and praying and in the word. I don't want to go back. And we're like, yeah, what can we do? We don't, we don't, what can, look, build houses in some kind of a commune and go live together. I don't know. No, that always ends weird. Um, 
but I don't want to go back to the old self. And then just one elder just saying, you know what? I just sense the fast is only the beginning. It was only the beginning for what God is doing in our church. And just, oh yeah, amen, amen. Anyone that took part in the fast just knows, amen. It's only the beginning. We just sensed a real momentum in the fast, just building up and the gatherings and the growing in the gatherings as we got together and just plowing through the New Testament and just prayer, people being more bold and praying out loud and going and praying for people and stepping out and asking for prayer and humbling self and confessing sin. Just a momentum like a wall of water just building up down a canyon. The gathering, the community, the word, the prayer, the breaking of bread together, loving that time of the fast and already missing the atmosphere of the fast or a word that I created last week, the fastmosphere, right? Okay, Kevin made me promise I would never say that word again, but I just had to get it out there. The fastmosphere, okay? Just, man, if you were there, you know. If you were part of it, you know how rich and sweet it was that you would say, I never want to go back. TV doesn't got it. Worldly, fleshly pursuits doesn't fill it. Food doesn't satisfy. I long for more of those waters that do not fail, as Isaiah 58 says. And so in just wondering... You know, how can we keep this momentum going? One thing that we know, that we know is, is at least possible. You know, after having not eaten for seven days and not watched TV for seven days and not been so, part of so many things that we thought were necessary, one thing we know is that the Thursday night prayer meeting, the pulse, is to just be kind of a a stagecoach stop in between the, the major fasts of the church. It's, it's to be a pit stop, those times of refreshing and pressing in, praying. Maybe the Lord would even lead you to fast every Thursday. Be part of a group, you know, you could call yourself Thirsty Thursday or something, or, you know, the Fasting 40, I don't know, but just part of a group that would just press in on Thursdays and come and at the end of the day gather together and fast, and, and pray, and seek the Lord. One day a week, for an hour and a half a week, that same atmosphere from the fast is available with the community. The Lord has led us to read through no longer books for a season, but the scriptures, amen? You know, and to go through the book of Psalms. And so this last Thursday, we said, Okay, I even printed off the Living Water book. Okay, we're going to read about, you know, the gift of exhortation. And I just didn't even take it out of the printer. You know, we just came and opened up our Bibles and started reading through Psalms. And just the Lord shaped our prayers. As George Mueller said, sometimes I don't know what to pray. And so I just open the scriptures and read. And I let the scriptures shape my prayers. And just using Psalm 1, oh Lord, make us like trees planted by the rivers of water. Psalm 2, chapter, uh, uh, verse 8, I think it was, Ask, and I'll give the nations to you for an inheritance. And we cried out for the nations to, to be saved. We cried out for missions from our church. And we worshiped in the Spirit, and we prayed, and it was just rich. It was the fastmosphere continuing. 
so exciting. Just, you know, and a huge turnout uh, from what we've seen in the past. And, and so I really felt that today we're to just kind of look once again at the early church and do a survey through the New Testament and be reminded of how important prayer is in our church, that we are to be a praying church. Samuel Chadwick says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Amen. The Lord has led us as we've looked through the book of Acts in the past and we've seen this heartbeat of prayer through the early church, the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. We named our church prayer meeting the Pulse. That if the Lord were to take a spiritual stethoscope and just place it on the, the heart of our church, he would hear life. He would hear a heartbeat. He would hear his saints crying out, Oh Lord, we want you. Oh Lord, we need you. Oh Lord, we want your life. And how terrified the enemy must have been. This is what he fears is a praying church. How terrified he must have been during the book of Acts. How afraid is he right now in Prineville? How afraid is he? You can flip to Acts chapter 1 verse 12. And we'll begin this survey. This is right after Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples went into Jerusalem to the upper room as commanded. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplications. Let's read it. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they'd entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. These all continued, underline it, continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see there in the book of Acts that it was 120 people praying continually in one accord. Talk about unity. Imagine the early church made up of 120 people. Some estimate of, of what our church numbers might be if everybody came to this church at one point. Probably somewhere around 200 Okay, plus or minus, okay? Um, and so just think about what if the Holy Spirit led our church to be a praying church, assembled and praying? What did he do in the early church when 120 people gathered to pray? He accomplished a lot. What if our whole congregation caught the vision to be a praying church? Continuing That word, they continued praying in one accord. It speaks of their unity. And did we not see that unity last week during fasting, during praying? Did we see that accord? Did we see that unity? We did. The word continued, it's going to be used later on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But it means to be earnest towards, to persevere. Don't miss this. To be constantly diligent. To attend to assiduously with care and with persistence in prayer. 
What we see in the book of Acts is more than Sunday Christianity. It's more than one time on Sunday, maybe one time get together uh, during the week, maybe one time praying. It's an earnestness, it's a persevering, and it's a diligence. It's a continuing. And does that mark your life? James chapter 5, verse 16, the second half of verse 16 through verse 17 tells us that the effective, fervent prayer, as you look at the end of that verse, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's exciting. Want to know what's more exciting? Reading it in the amplified version of the Bible. Next slide shows us that the earnest, that is heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You want to see power in this church? Are you tired of the status quo Christianity in Prineville? I am. I'm tired of it. I want to see dynamite. I want to see the Holy Spirit working in the church making disciples in the church who are then making disciples who are making disciples. Church growth, not for our benefit, but for the kingdom of God to be expanded, that God can be glorified. We'll come back to James 5 towards the end of the study, but back in Acts 1, we see that they continued in prayer and in supplication. Prayer speaks of worship. Supplication speaks of petition. Our prayer times are to be more than God give me this, God give me this, God heal me of this. And so often that is what our daily prayers are. I know that to be true in my life. But as we set aside time, a block of time, and even corporately we press in together and encourage one another, man, there's more than just petition. There's adoration. There's confession of sin. There's thanksgiving for what God has done in our church. Supplication and petition. It's been said that a church that prays together stays together. Being part of a church that had a big prayer meeting in Corvallis, of course, it started out very tiny. Now it can be upwards of around 60 to 100 people on any given week. But I've learned, and then seeing it here so much, that many schemes of the enemy against the church have been thwarted because we've been a praying church. Because we've gone to battle in the Spirit. Because we've sown in the Spirit as a church. Continuing steadfastly. Is that a mark of your life? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, there it is again, with one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as, as, of, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here they are again, continuing in one accord, praying for the promise of the Father. And it came, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, endowing them with power, dynamite power, to be witnesses of the gospel throughout the world. When will we see power, 
dynamic and it's working in the church. When we assemble for one, in one accord and when we pray, story is told of five young college students who were spending a Sunday in London. And so they went to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear the famous Charles Spurgeon preach. While they were outside waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the boiler room of the church? The men said, Sure, although it was kind of odd what was so special about the boiler room of the building. Plus, it was a hot day outside. So the guide led them down some stairs and quietly into a room where some 700 people were gathered for prayer. The man said, that is where the power comes from in our body, the man said. As they stepped back outside, the man introduced himself to be Charles Spurgeon himself. You guys might know that back in Spurgeon's time, steam was the power source of the day. Boiler rooms were powerhouses, the driving forces from everything, from big machines in factories to heating systems in homes. Boiler rooms, however, were not pleasant places to be, and still aren't if you've ever been in one. They're functional, dirty, and hot, often tucked away in the basement where nobody can see them. Epaphras was told in Colossians 4.12, it said Epaphras, excuse me, greeted the Colossians and he would always labor fervently in prayers for them. What is prayer? It's laboring. Fervent, sweaty, sleeves rolled up, work boots on, labor for the kingdom. Spurgeon said, brethren, We shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. Where does the prayer meeting of the church, what place does it hold in your esteem? Scale of one to 10 right now, write it in the margin of your Bible in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. Right now, March 18th, 2012, the prayer meeting has held a 10, awesome, one, not so great. Write it down. J.B. Johnson said in his book, The Prayer Meeting and Its History, a congregation without a prayer meeting is essentially defective in its organization and so must be limited in its efficiency. As prayer meetings fail in a congregation, so will the ministrations of the pastor become unfruitful, the preaching of the word fail to convert sinners and promote holiness in the professors of religion. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, working through Acts. We see after the day of Pentecost, after Peter preaches, some 3,000 people come to know the Lord that day. It says that they continued steadfastly might underline those two words, continued and steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 shows us the essential, fundamental activities within the church. Doctrine, the preaching and teaching of the word, fellowship with one another, communion, love feasts, and prayer. These are the methods of our church. It's been said, 
uh, excuse me, uh, these are the principles of our church. It's been said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods keep on changing, but principles never do. And so Acts 2.42 is our model of what we will always be doing as a church. So the phrase again, continued steadfastly, ongoing perseverance and dedication towards these uh, four different things. Now, this was for the whole church in the early church, not just the pastors or the elders or the deacons or the ministry heads. This was the whole church that would assemble together and pray. You guys remember Mark 9, 28 and 29, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he came upon some of his disciples who were trying to cast a demon out. They couldn't do it. Jesus cast the demon out. The disciples asked, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And he said, you know what? This kind doesn't come out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, we're not just talking about a one-time prayer bringing the victory in this kind of demon but a continual, steadfast lifestyle of prayer. As H.A. Ironside said, no one can have power over unclean spirits unless he is in intimate contact with God. I believe it's through the pulse. You know, it's just one time during the week. But man, at least you've got this one time set apart. Great start. (laughs) Where you are doing, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, You are praying without ceasing. You're beginning that just intimate contact with God, opening up your spiritual sensitivity to what's going on in the heavenly realm. Praying without ceasing. You have to forgive me. I read a book by Spurgeon on leadership called Spurgeon on Leadership, and the chapter on prayer has been stamped into my heart. Okay, so there's going to be a lot of Spurgeon quotes, and I just pray they minister to you as much as they did to me. As he says, I always feel it well to put a few words of prayer between everything I do. Everything. Praying without ceasing. Minute by minute, moment by moment, somehow or another, my heart must commune with God. Prayer has become as essential to me as the heaving of my lungs And the beating of my pulse. Is that prayer to you? As essential as the heaving of your lungs. And the beating of your pulse. You see there in Acts 2.47. The Lord added to the church daily. Those who were being saved. Man. May we long to see that happening in our congregation Man, have you noticed at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, daily there's somebody getting saved? You know, whether it's one guy at the BLM or another lady out selling agricultural products or a lady working at the library or this guy doing surgery on a dog or whatever. People are getting saved. What is going on? Are we saying that? Are disciples being made? Man, let's press in in prayer that Acts 2.47 would take place. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now we know that it was their custom. It was the hour of prayer. It's what we do. We are going to pray. And we know that God uses men and women whose custom it is of being in prayer and spending, 
time with the Lord. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes it's spending. But God uses those individuals. You guys know this story. A man that was lame for 40 years was sitting there at the beautiful gate as they were on their way to prayer. And then they ended up being led to heal this man. And some, I can't remember, 5,000 people, I think it was, were saved from that validation of the gospel there at the beautiful gate. Amazing things happen when we go to pray. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel was aware that the petition had been signed or the writing was signed by King Darius, that he was not to pray to anybody for 30 days except to King Darius, what did he do? He went home went to his upper room, opened his windows toward Jerusalem, knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he gave thanks and he prayed before his God. Then get this, as was his custom since early days. Is this kind of prayer your custom, church? Robert E. Lee, the famous Civil War general, said, knowing that intercessory prayer is our mightiest weapon and the supreme call for all Christians today, I pleadingly urge our people everywhere to pray, believing that prayer is the greatest contribution that our people can make in this critical hour. I humbly urge that we take time to pray, to really pray. Let there be prayer at sunup, at noonday, at sundown, at midnight, all throughout the day. Let us all pray for our children, for our youth, for our aged, for our pastors, our homes. Let us pray for our churches. Let us pray for ourselves that we may not lose the word concern out of our Christian vocabulary. Let us pray for our nation. Let us pray for those who've never known Jesus Christ and his redeeming love, for moral forces everywhere, for our national leaders. Let us let prayer be our passion. Let prayer be our practice. Exciting, huh? (laughs) Lord, work in us a passion, a practice of prayer. And you see that in the early church. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Yes, we are. We're going to be blowing through some chapters here. You'll know that the uh, disciples, Peter and John, were arrested after having healed that man and commanded not to preach again. And immediately when they were released, what did they do? They said, it's better for us to obey God and not man. So, sorry, we're going back to preach. And in 4.13, it says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Man, are you just struggling with boldness and knowing what to say at your work or with your coworkers, with your family? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to preach. Man, have you been with Jesus? Have you been spending time at the mercy seat before the throne of God? Same can be true of us today, that people would see us and say, there is something different about you. I've been with Jesus, you know. That always gets a good conversation going. Um, We're going to come back to Acts chapter 4, verse 23 a little bit later, but we do see one of the longest written out prayers of the early church, and it's a great example for us on how to pray. Jump over to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and you can scan it, but you'll know that the soup kitchen of the early church 
There was a group of uh, Hellenistic Jews who felt neglected in the daily distribution of food, and they began to complain. Well, the elders were the ones that were handing out the food, and they said, man, we just can't do this anymore. Not only are we neglecting the Hellenists, but we're neglecting our time in the Word and in prayer. It was then that they raised up basically the deacons of the day, those that would serve in a practical way by serving tables, so that they could then dedicate themselves continually, as Peter said it, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, every single one of us is in ministry in one form or another. You don't have to be getting paid to be in ministry. You don't have to occupy a pulpit to be in ministry. Every one of you is a servant of Jesus, is a minister in some way, and if you're walking in the will of God, and if you're a scriptural Christian, you should be specifically a minister in the church in one capacity or another. So you should be serving in that way, biblically, using your gifts to edify the body. Every member doing its share, serving, ministering. A good example to follow are the elders. Leading by example, as Peter says, giving themselves continually to the ministry of the word and to prayer. As Spurgeon says, the minister, and this again, it's not just me, it's you too, okay? The minister who does not earnestly pray over his work must surely be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if he thought himself sufficient of himself and therefore has no need to appeal to God. To you as the ambassadors of God, the mercy seat has a virtue beyond all estimation. The more familiar you are with the court of heaven, the better shall you discharge your heavenly trust among all the formative influences that go to make up a man honored of God in the ministry. I know of none more mighty than his own familiarity with the mercy seat. All that a college course can do for a student uh, excuse me, all that a college course can do for a student is coarse and external compared with the spiritual and dedicated refinement obtained by communion with God. While the uninformed minister is revolving upon a wheel of preparation, prayer is the tool of the great potter by which he molds the vessel. All of our libraries and studies are mere emptiness compared to our closets. We grow, we wax mightily, we prevail in private prayer. Every ministry in our church, children's ministry, youth ministry, seniors ministry, custodial ministry, helping hands ministry, the oasis ministry, the connect, the outreach, the street outreaches, the concerts, the Good Friday service, every ministry that we have is undergirded by this central pillar of prayer, of seeking the Lord, spending time at the mercy seat and having our hearts linked to his heart. Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. Eating the, the whole crop from the head of grain down to the stump of the root. If you are neglecting prayer, the strength of the church is being zapped and sucked. Now, because private prayer is the hidden part of our life, Spurgeon says, it's all too easy to neglect it. 
After all, who will know whether we've taken time to be alone with God? We can be certain any weakness in our personal prayer life will eventually manifest itself in a corresponding weakness in our public ministry life. By contrast, a strong prayer life will result in a stronger ministry. Well, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, have you been praying and asking the Lord? Well, I would like to have more gifts. Have you been seeking the Lord and asking the Lord? I don't have any ministry in this church. I just come and I sit in the pew. Have you been spending time with the Lord? Asking him what you could do. Man, he will put you in a spot that you wouldn't even think to be asked to put. I don't even know. How did the Lord put me here? I have no clue. I didn't even know this was a gift, but I was seeking him. He opened up the door and he placed me in this place of stewardship. That's what he does when we spend time in his throne room. One of the most convicting and and probably every day, this uh, quote of Spurgeon and Luther burns in my heart. says, another challenge we uh, we face in making time for prayer in the midst of a busy Uh, is the midst of a busy schedule. Amen? Busy schedule? Ring any bells? (laughs) We think we are too busy to pray. Great mistake. For prayer is a saving of time. What the what? That's right. Prayer is a saving of time. Luther's remark. I have so much to do today that I shall never get through it with less than three hours of prayer. If we have no time, we must make time. For if God has given us time for secondary duties, he must have given us time for primary ones. And to draw near to him is a primary duty, and we must not let anything set it aside. Other engagements will run smoothly if you will not forget your engagement with God. And I remember putting that to the test last year. For about a week, I would get up three hours earlier and pray. And I'll tell you what, man, my schedule just went together. Just everything. I mean, of course, I was still in a fallen world. There were still struggles. But I just watched the Lord orchestrate. Did I quit doing that? Yes. Okay. I, I, <laughs> weakness of the flesh, too. Long to have the discipline of prayer grow in my life as well. Moody, D.L. Moody would pray three hours a day. E.M. Bounds, who's famous for just being a man of prayer, would pray every morning from 4 to 7 a.m. Good examples in our forefathers. You'll see the result of this Giving over to prayer and the studying of the word in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's right up there with Acts 2.47, that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Are you beginning to catch the result of prayer? The word of God spreads. The number of disciples multiplies greatly. The Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. Salvation, revival, power. There's a story from the 1800s, from 1857, that also always burns in my heart. 
and it's called the Fulton Street Revival. In 1857, there were 30,000 men idle on the streets of New York. Drunkenness was rampant, and the nation was divided by slavery. God raised up a praying businessman named Jeremiah Lamphere, and on September 23rd, 1857, he began a noontime prayer meeting on Fulton Street, which was in the financial district of Manhattan, and out of, out of a city of one million people, six people showed up, and that a half hour late. The group decided to meet the next week, and there were 14 people. The next week, there were 23. The following week, there were 40. Within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders meeting daily for prayer. God moved so powerfully that this prayer meeting spread across the nation, and it's estimated that nearly a million people were converted out of a national population of 35 million people, including 10,000 weekly conversions in New York City for a season. Between 1860 and 1920, the answers of this prayer uh, came about through the evangelical social movement being birthed, which included the Bowery Mission, the Macaulay Street Mission, the Salvation Army, and the, the London Salvation Army, the Student Volunteer Movement. Between 1865 and 1900, more a map more African Americans came to Christ than any other ethnic group in North American histories. Bars would be closed down. There was no time for drinking. We were all spending time in Bible studies. Whole uh, flocks or herds or whatever of mules had to be retrained because the only commands that they knew were in curse words. And so mines had to be shut down. Mules had to be retrained. There was a revival taking place. And it all started with a man who called a prayer meeting. He said, let's seek God. Let's cry out to God. Let's attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. As you flip to Acts chapter 10 verses 2 through 4. There was a man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his house, gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius, he was afraid and said, who is it, Lord? And so he said, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before the Lord. Just interesting. This was before this guy was even saved. And the Lord went to him and said, your prayers, your alms brought up as a memorial. And he would use Cornelius as a means to sending the gospel throughout the whole Gentile world. In Acts chapter 10 verse 9, you see the next day, Cornelius' servants went on their journey to go find Peter. They drew near the city and Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. And you guys know the story. Peter receives a vision while he's up there of a, of a sheet filled with all kinds of unclean animals. He's told to kill those animals and eat them. He, of course, says, no way. Those are unclean. I've never eaten that. And the Lord does that three times saying, what I've called clean, you shall not call unclean. And it was a picture of these Gentiles coming 
to partake of the gospel. But no, it all started for Peter when he went up on the roof to pray. It was here that the gospel went forth to the Gentiles, a key moment in history, and God moving through prayer. In Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, I wish we had time to read through the whole thing, but you'll have to do that on your own time. Basically, Peter is imprisoned and being persecuted by Herod. He's probably going to be put to death. Herod had already killed James. While he goes to sleep, an angel comes into his cell, looses his shackles, has to hit him to wake him up, opens up the doors, and and the doors of the prison open of their own accord. Peter thinks he's having a dream the whole time, finally gets outside, realizes it's not a dream, and he goes to the upper room again. He goes to John Mark's mom's house, and it says it was there that prayer was being made on his behalf, and it's there in, in Acts chapter 12. Uh, verse 1, that constant prayer, earnest prayer, was being offered to God for him by the church. Was it any coincidence that there happened to be a prayer meeting going on when the angel met Peter in prison, freed him from his shackles, remarkably brought him past the guard's vision, opened up doors on their own accord, and he went out? Was there any coincidence there was a prayer meeting going on uh, there in the, the house of Mary? Sir William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. (laughs) How many coincidences did we see during the week of prayer and fasting? I'll tell you one thing. Some of you know that on November 13th, the day before I turned 30, I had a little birthday present while preparing for the sermon Sunday morning of getting a nerve pinched in my neck, going all the way down my back. And since November 13th, I've had incredible pain down the right side of my back. Second service last week, I went into the circle and was prayed for. And I've not had any pain all week in my neck. I've also had sciatic nerve pain in my right hip. Don't even know where that came from. Happy 30th birthday, I'm sure. Got prayer, have had no pain all week. When we pray coincidences happen. Aaron Mapes told, you know, having a migraine coming down to Thursday night prayer during the fast last week, almost turned around and went home. No, I just can't be here. I've got such a bad headache. The Lord said, you're going to go home and you're going to, you know, surf the web until you go to bed and you still won't be able to sleep. Or you can go to the prayer meeting. He comes to the prayer meeting. He's prayed for, and he's healed that night. When we pray, coincidences happen. When we don't, They don't. In chapter 13, verses 2 through 4, we see that as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them away. During times of prayer and fasting, the Lord raises people up for the ministry and sends them out. We see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Churches are strengthened and commended in the faith as they pray and as they fast. Acts chapter 16, verse 13, we see that the church in Philippi has its roots in a women's prayer meeting led by Lydia. Um, Acts chapter 16, we see Paul is once again released from prison as he's beaten With rods, him and Silas, he begins to pray in prison and to worship. 
and a great earthquake happens, and he's released from uh, prison, basically. And the jailer gets saved, and his whole household. What was going on in that cell? Pouting, complaining, just waiting for someone to come open the door, someone to come bail him out. No, what was going on? Prayer and worship. In Acts chapter 20, we see Paul say goodbye to the Ephesian elders, and publicly they kneel down and pray. Acts 21.5, again, he says goodbye to the people in Tyre, and they kneel down on the shores and begin praying by the ship. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, we'll go back there, and you can just scan with me where we have the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. Peter and John praying after they were released. Not praying that their trials and persecution would end, but rather praying for stronger backs to bear the burden of those trials. They prayed for extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They had a spirit-filled prayer and a doctrinal prayer, which shows us that they are not mutually exclusive. You can be full of the Spirit and full of doctrine. Amen? Good doctrine. Such worship, such declaration of who the Lord is as creator. Doctrine, spirit, crying out that the Lord would open up a door for the word to speak the mysteries of Christ, like Paul would say in Colossians chapter 4. We're running short on time, and so to bring it to a close, we're going to jump way out in the notes, so for the slideshow back there. Let's turn to Matthew 26, 36. And I think this is just a word that the Lord just has for us in this season in the church. You know, I said listing off all of the blessings that's going on in our church. I said, amazing that we saw 30 to 50 people turn out for the fasting and prayer. Amazing. But then as I was praying and reading, I also put, what? We only saw 30 to 50 people turn out for prayer and fasting? Such a blessing, and yet such an opportunity to be taught and to learn at the same time. You know, that a quarter of the church, or less than that, when a call for a consecration for fasting and praying takes place, and, and I'm sure there was probably more than that. There's probably, I know many of you fasted, couldn't make it here, you know, so don't feel any condemnation whatsoever. But for those of you that took no part in the fasting or in the praying, there are serious heart checks that need to be made right now. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, you guys remember Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed. You know, and you guys know the prayer that he prayed. He comes back in verse 40, finds the disciples sleeping 
and says to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes again, prays the prayer of of the Lord's will being done, not his. Comes back, finds them asleep again. Their eyes are heavy. Goes and prays again in verse 44. Comes back, finds them sleeping, and he says again, Are you still sleeping and resting? Luke's gospel tells us that he found them sleeping from sorrow. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Colossians exhorts us to be vigilant in prayer, continuing earnestly in it with thanksgiving. Vigilant means open-eyed. Sorry, Jeff, I think of you every time. Jeff open-eyed is what I want to call him. Vigil is his last name. Um, You know, vigilant in prayer, open-eyed in our prayer. Not snoozing, not missing out on opportunity when the Lord calls us to pray. Alistair Begg said, so often churches discover that people just aren't up to a corporate prayer meeting. It takes a tremendous commitment to do it. So they discover people that would be happier without it. And so they just let it go. It's so possible to do this in relationship to prayer. And that would be a great mistake. It would be a great mistake in this season of church history. The last days, I believe. The Lord is coming quickly. What a mistake to fall asleep. I think the Lord would say, what? You can't continue for one hour in praying with me? Can I change it just a little? An hour and a half, once a week. Thursday night, 6 to 7.30 to take that moment of your week, all the hours in the week, and say, this this is sacred. This is prayer, corporate prayer with the church. To consecrate, as we consecrated a week of fasting, that we would consecrate Thursday nights to the Lord. And maybe you just could pray, Lord, can I commit to a year? For a year, I will be at every pulse. Or I'll be at every other pulse. I commit to it, Lord. You know, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says that the kingdom, in in verse 1, the kingdom will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to the meeting of the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with them to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour which the son of man is coming. How tragic in the last days 
to be snoozing and sleeping and filling our flesh with every distraction that the world has to offer, but we're not pressing in, watching for our master's coming. Three different times in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says, watch, watch, watch. Your master's coming. When you, the, the evil servant says, my master delays his coming. I don't need to watch. I don't need to press in. I don't need to be part of the fasting and praying. I don't need to be. No, I've got, I've got Thursday night TV. I've got this game. I've got these sporting events. I've got this hobby. I've got my six o'clock dinner time. And we do not adjust that. <laughs> I like to eat. I know how you feel. <laughs> Could you not watch and pray one hour? And I think there's just a word of exhortation. All throughout the scripture, you see correction, correction, exhortation. All throughout the scripture, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. And there's correction for you today from the Holy Spirit in love. If the leadership was led by the chief shepherd to consecrate a fast over this church and you did not participate, in fact, it was not on your radar at all, there's something wrong. If you've seen in the scriptures how fasting and how praying is essential to the life of the church and it's just not, it's not there. No care. Man, we're to examine one another, exhort one another daily. Are you of the faith? Exhort one another daily, as Hebrews 3.13 says, and so much more we exhort each other as we see the day approaching. You know, our fallen condition is that we always neglect prayer. We don't get prayer. We don't want to pray. We fall asleep. It's our fallen condition. It's the Garden of Gethsemane syndrome. But did you notice after the filling of the Holy Spirit and the disciples' lives, what a change was made in their prayer lives? We couldn't stay awake one hour in the Lord's passion. And now we're going to continue steadfastly in prayer. I think the gospel would say, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without being born again, it's hopeless to try and be part of a prayer meeting. Our prayers are hindered. But when we've been bought with the blood of the Lamb, when our sins have been washed away, when we've received the indwelling Spirit, man, He enables us to pray, to have relationship with Him. As Phil Wickham's song says, that our heart would beat to the rhythm of his heart through prayer. And so, how can the atmosphere of fasting continue? Many ways, many ways. But one, I would just plead with you to set apart in your week would be the corporate prayer and worship and reading as our church on a steadfast basis, like in Acts chapter two. Sunday mornings, amen. Private prayer closet, amen. It's gotta be in the believer's life. It's a fruit. 
that'll be happening. Corporate prayer, amen. Lord, bring it. Lord, grow it. If the pulse or the times of fasting or the 242 groups or the women's ministry or the core groups or the youth groups, if these are not even on your radar, the radar's going around, there's no action, there's something wrong. There's a lack of health. Now, it might be rebellion. No one's going to tell me what to do. Hey, you know what? God has put leaders over the church. The word rule is used, but this is how it's done. As, Paul, as Peter tells the shepherds, we don't rule with a rod of iron. You do what we say. We say, we want to lead by example. Let's go to Jesus together. We're never going to ask you to do something that we ourselves won't do. Come, come and press in and see what the Lord will do in our town and in our church. Perhaps it's rebellion. Perhaps it's unbelief. It's impossible that God would move in these ways in 2012. Repent of your unbelief. It could be neglect. It could be the idols that you have that keep your eyes fixed on them. Repent of it. If you're too busy, something's got to go. Hard message, some correction. My prayer for the week has been that there would be no condemnation to those of you that are in Christ Jesus. There would be no condescending speech that you would not sense that. I hope you understand. We love you. We pray for you. My heart overflowing with thanks and writing things down that God's doing in this church. None of that. But just the plea of your shepherds who are awaiting the coming of the chief shepherd, watch with us. Expect great things with us. Pray with us. Let's press in all the more as we see the Lord coming. I hope that you take these thoughts and go and pray about them. And that you would just, Lord, is there any commitment that I can make? Is there any just pledge in my heart? I want to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this church, in prayer and in worship, in community, in gathering. Come on up, Stuart. I know I went long. I apologize for that. Let's pray and stand. Lord, I think of the letters to the churches in Revelation. and Five out of seven of them had just words of correction from you. And they all began with encouragement. Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. But this I have against you. And just a good word of correction in love from Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that those whom you love, you correct. And Lord, we are just not content with just getting by, playing the religious game. But Lord, we want to today afresh, by your spirit, count the cost of discipleship. Lord, that we would continue steadfastly, earnestly, in prayer, both privately and corporately, We would continue in doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread. And Lord, we thank you for the flame and the fire that you're just working in this church. We thank you for the passion and the excitement and that we don't ever want to go back and be the same. 
And Lord, we just pray for those that just on the radar, there are no blips. There are no blips. Just by your spirit, just in the way that only you know how, Lord, put the blips on their screen. Put a passion to pray, a passion to fellowship. And may they just sense the loving chief shepherd in the call to pray today. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the indwelling spirit who comes into those who are born again, washes us, sanctifies us, justifies us. And because of that, we can commune with you even now. We take the bread and the cup. We remember your blood that was shed, your body that was broken, so that we can pray. And so we pray right now in thanksgiving to you. Be blessed in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.